sorry. <laughs> but laugh. We can't use any of it. No. <laughs> no. Oh no. Got the giggles out. <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I need a wean. I'm gonna go and have a wee. space now cover me in purple slime and melt my face <laughs> what's up revelers and weirdos welcome to scaring sam and we know the deal by now don't we i attempt to spook my fiance with horror give a meaningful explanation why and she questions why she wants to marry me yep that sums it up i'm james reese aka the wanton hussy of the southeast and i'm sam difford A.K.A. the one that's always questioning James. <laughs> the face I'm giving you right now. I don't know where you come up with these things. From my warped, perverse mind. Yep, that sounds about right. And this week's episode, we are covering 1988's The Blob. Directed by Chuck Russell, who of course directed A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors and adapted by Frank Darabont, who, of course, brought us Shawshank Redemption, The Green Mile, The Mist, all the Stephen King adaptations. Oh, really? Well, those ones. Oh, okay. 30 years after the original B-movie starring Stephen McQueen was released, this remake sees a quiet Californian town besieged by a blob-like entity, hence the title, that consumes everything in its path, and shady government scientists who will stop at nothing to contain it. And the start of the movie goes to great lengths to set up this town and its residents before the shit hits the fan. Literally all the supporting cast get enough character development, some substance, just so we care enough when they're killed off. So what do we have? We got, oh yeah, we got the jock, Paul, played by Donovan, as you pronounce this, Liech Jr. You got final girl Meg, played by Shawnee Smith, and you got Bad Boy Brian, played by Kevin Dillon, who's, of course, Johnny Drama in Entourage. Oh, yeah. You have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? Nope. <laughs> the Reverend Mika, who's kind of like this creepy dude. Mm-hmm. You've got Meg's father, who's the pharmacist, who is led to believe because of Paul's douchey friend, Scott, Procuring, should we say, rubber johnnies, le condom, le sausage skin, I don't know. <laughs> he is led to believe that said le condoms are being purchased for his friend Paul, who is going on a date with pharmacist said daughter Meg. So when Meg introduces Paul at her home to her father, 
He has one word for him, ribbed. I don't know why he's complaining. He's thinking about the welfare and pleasure of his daughter. Yeah, I don't think that's how dads really think about that kind of stuff. What, would he rather care that he he went bareback instead? Doesn't no. think about it at all, James. Oh, he's thinking about it. He's taking his daughter out on a date. He's worried. He's going to be concerned. So safety first, Sam. Safety first. And who else is there? We've got the local sheriff, played by long-running Frank Darabont collaborator Jeffrey Duman. He is playing Sheriff Herb. And stop touching stuff. Stop touching my bad cat. <laughs> yes, and he's trying to coerce a date with cafe owner Fran. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he's the sheriff. And he's going to have some history with Brian, the local bad boy who's also a greaser with a motorbike. For some reason, it's a small town, there's not a lot to do, trying to jump over a broken down bridge. Mm -hmm. He gets resounding applause by the local hobo guy. As we get introduced to the homeless guy, with the cute dog, is doing what we all should be doing, picking up the litter that's already there and cleaning the planet of human trash. Well done, homeless guy. <laughs> You're saying humans are trash or their trash is trash, which needs to be cleaned up. I'm not sure. Maybe a bit of both. <laughs> After the state of what our parks are looking like during this lockdown, every time the sun comes out, seemingly people have forgotten how to use bins in the UK. Yep. I don't want to waste any more energy on it. No. But yeah, so we get introduced to this, um, to the homeless guy, of course, is the one that first come across the um, meteorite. That the blob has hopped a ride on. Yeah. Well. <laughs> well. Yes. Well. Yes. Yes. Question mark. <laughs> Wink face. <laughs> he, of course, because why would you do this? Picks up a stick and pokes it. Hello, cat. Hello, kitty. Yeah. So why? Why the hell would you do that? I think this town is so like remote and there's nothing to do like they don't have a Woolworths with a pick and mix aisle there's nothing for them to do so if a meteorite comes down and of course this is the 80s there's no internet there's no porn hub you've got something else to poke a stick into a hoe with <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. but the problem is this is small town america in the 80s the population is as white as the picket fences that line their gardens. I just take a moment to say introduction to our neighbour's um, new dog. <laughs> yes, we're trying to be as quiet as we possibly can, but we have roaming animals everywhere. <laughs> Hi, Ranger. <laughs> there is, what, only two African-Americans... In this cast, amongst all the white people, you've got the mechanic and you've got Dr Meadows. Thanks for diversity, mm. 80s. It is really shocking now, though, isn't it? I wonder if we thought it was shocking back when it came out, though. I don't think people just paid attention. I think they just went to watch films. Mm. I think if you was any other race other than Caucasian, then you would be kicking up a stink. Whereas now we're all just very... Conscious of it? Yeah, we're all just very conscious of it, aren't we? Well, they kind of they do kind of force political correctness down our throats now, to the point it doesn't feel organic sometimes. The homeless guy gets his hand chomped off, doesn't he? 
Well, you was worried it was going to get the dog. Yeah, I was. That's that's a common thing, though, isn't it? That we care more about the animals in films rather than the humans. We don't want to see an animal hurt. I can't stand it when you see an animal which is hurt or killed off in a film. Yeah. So luckily the dog gets away. And I think this is where we should bring up, frankly, the best part of this film, which is the practical effects. They are so good to the point you're like questioning how they got it done. Because this was the late 80s. This was literally on the cusp of like the CGI revolution, which was going to come about with Terminator 2. But all of this stuff we see here was there in person. Woof, woof. <laughs> What do you mean it's all like in person? How did they do it then? <laughs> it's an effort, okay? It may look... I mean, I, no, it doesn't even look simple, but the process no, of it, it is was... mind-blowing. I mean... I mean, it looked fantastic. Okay, so the blob was created by the combined work of creature effects coordinators Lyle Conway and Stuart Ziff mm-hmm. with makeup effects wizard... Tony Gardner with post-production opticals and miniature work by Greg Jin, DreamQuest and AllFX. I mean, there are countless ridiculous gory moments of body horror. There's this thing like latches onto people and pulls them to pieces and dissolves mm. them and it's like liquidy, multi slimy <laughs> bits. And you're thinking, how? How did any of this get done? Yeah, how did it get done? Come on. <laughs> Well, basically, they created something called a blob quilt. Layered, a <laughs> yeah, layered silk with ravioli-sized pockets injected uh-huh. with... God, how do you say this? Methylcellulose, a food additive derived from wood pulp, which sounds appetising. Mmm. Silk ravioli with some wood pulp. With stuff mm. injected in it. And this... Let's just call it gloop, would secrete through the silk, obscuring the base structure and allowing the puppeteers to manipulate this fluid mass they've made, the blob. They had like mitten like chunks where they could hide their hands so they could move it without you seeing them puppeteering it. Well, that's what they're dragging over people's faces and stuff. It was draped over everything, this like blob quilt, as they called it. They draped over fiberglass forms to mechanical armatures to air bladders, which is the special effect. Knowing you like see when people turn into werewolf and their skin start bulging out and start oh, inflating. Yeah. That's there. That's the use of air bladders. That's what they call them. Right. And they even put them over the puppeteers as, as well. Additional material for the blob. They use vinyl, foam, latex, lycra, nylon, rubber, and gallons of commercial slime. Or as men would know. Lube, I guess. <laughs> all of this, and literally all of this, was used in that ridiculous scene where you think Paul, the jock, the is all, a main character. Yeah, the all American <laughs> corn fed jock with all the looks. He's taking Meg out on their first date. It's all wholesome. He was trying to suck up the courage to ask her out at the start of the film. Yeah. And you think, oh, we're going to follow him on his hero's journey. No, you've got this pink purple blob that falls on you in the hospital after you've selflessly taken the hobo, you accidentally run over mm-hmm. to the hospital to get taken care of and you find him, he's melted in half and you're like, oh, oh dear, oh dear. 
but it's fine. He's the hero. He's safe. No, the blob falls on him. <laughs> I literally had like a what the fuck moment, like because he is set up like one of the main characters. Because I think he was pretty much the archetype main character in the original. Yeah. And so people were expecting it. And it's also a stereotypical kind of main character, isn't it? Yeah, you've got him, the good guy, and then you've got the bad guy, Brian. How many bad boys do you know called Brian? With his, <laughs> his all, He's like Americana leather jacket and motorbike. It's the whole bait and switch of like Psycho. When you follow this character, and you think you're going to follow her throughout the entire film... Mm. And halfway through, she gets killed off. You don't even get halfway through the film, this one. No, you really don't. Second person to be attacked by the blob. And Meg comes in and she's like, Paul, no. And he's like, help me. And she tries to help him. And in doing so, she rips off his arm because some of that slime... Yeah, just dissolves him. Yeah. But it looks, it looks crazy. It's like you've got this transparent slime it's like, disgusting which is like pulling over him yeah like, 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 like a wave it's melting his face yeah, off it's like a wave and underneath it all he's melting and all of that is on camera none of that is CGI that's all there that's amazing isn't it it looks great it always looks better than CGI yeah. so Paul he's dead and all you're left with now you've got Meg I guess is essentially the main character mm-hmm. and Brian Brian the bad boy who I thought, because of his looks, would get inducted into the Long-Haired Man Appreciation Society. Well, thank you for bringing that up, James, because to start with, he would have been. Town bad boy, okay. Long hair, motorbike, leather jacket, tick, tick, tick. Oh no, he littered. In my eyes, nope, it's not getting added to the Long-Haired Man Club. That and you weren't particularly fond of his teeth as well. Did I actually say that? Yes, you did. <laughs> well, I can't remember what his teeth look like now. I know he's not Jared Leto and Jeff Goldblum. Jared Leto? How's <sighs> <laughs> <was> his name? <laughs> Starts with a P. Padalecki. Mm. I know he's not Jared Padalecki. And Daddy Jeff Goldberg, Goldblum. Oh my God. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. You're just jealous. You're like trying to get rid of all these people that are on the list. I was... Growing your hair out like, oh, add me, Sam. I grew my hair for you and now I can't see what the hell I'm doing when I'm at work. It just keeps flopping in my face. And I should be instantly inducted yeah, I'm asserting my matriarchy. No, patriarchy. I'm not a woman. I'm inserting my patriarchy because as your fiancé and future husband, I should be officially inducted into the Long-Haired Man Appreciation Society mm-hmm. without question, before anyone else. I should be chairman. Oh, really? Yes. Well, best put that leather jacket on then. I've got two. You like him. What are we talking about? <laughs> I'm not going to wear it in the summer, am I? And sweat my bollocks off. Well, I don't know. Maybe that's part of it. What? Dehydration? <laughs> Anywho. Yes. So the police arrive on scene and instantly blame Brian for Paul's death. How? He melted. There's not even a body. Oh, there's an arm. Meg was there. She witnessed it all. But they go, oh, no. Clearly Brian did it. Yeah. He's going down for this one this time. 
right, because he can melt people now. Okay. Yeah. He has a pet blob. Where's the connection? <laughs> there is no connection. They just need to blame someone. But he's not the real criminal here, is he, Sam? Because we see Paul's best friend, Scott, on his date. Mm. Well... If you can call yeah. it a date. I guess this is what would be considered a date in the 80s. And because Scott is such a paragon of virtue, he takes his girl Vicky out in his car to overlook the town. I guess with the stars. It's all very romantic. He's making her cocktails because he's got a cool cocktail making. Bar in yeah. the boot of his car. His cocktail <laughs> bar in the boot of his car. He's given her his football ring. Oh, yeah, the one and only. Even though he's got duplicates in the back. Yep. And gives her so many cocktails. She gets sleepy. She gets blackout unconscious. Which isn't rapey at all. No, and because he's such a gentleman, he doesn't take her home. He decides to admire her blouse. And says things like, oh, you must be so hot. I'm just going to undo one of these buttons. On your blouse. Yes. Again, this is another prime example of something in an 80s movie you would not get away with today. I would say it's karma that <laughs> Scott is killed by the blob the second he fills up Vicky while she's unconscious. But it's a shame she has to die first. Yeah, because yeah. obviously Vicky is dead at this point. So that's hardly fair, is it? Where's where's <laughs> justice for Vicky? Or do you know what? Something actually made me laugh in this scene. <laughs> because I'm thinking, oh, he's disgusting. Like, why would you be doing that? And then it actually made me laugh when he put his hand under her bra to feel her up. And instead of getting a nice handful of boob, he gets <laughs> this tendril thing. <laughs> grabbing his hand then the rest like just it pushes through her face that's yes, not very it's nice it's very thing like um, isn't it? and then just eats him <laughs> but that actually made me laugh am i cruel <laughs> no because he deserved to die but probably not vicky i guess definitely not vicky no so she's a victim both ways yep brian is turned loose by the police because when someone melts there's no evidence Oh, because he's been arrested so many times. He just brushes it off. Mm. And he goes to the cafe. Meg catches up with him. They wonder what's going on. Oh, yeah, they get free um, dessert, don't they? I'm going to throw away the pie or cake or whatever it is. And then you have Franz dishwasher George volunteers to unclog the sink. And literally this moment had me squirming. Though. I was like, do not put your hand down there. And I was a little bit wrong, though. I was thinking that his hand was going to get chomped off. Melted off, chomped off. Yeah, except it turned a little bit more <laughs> it got, it got gruesome. More, it got more inventive than that. <laughs> it, the, the blob drags him head first down the drain. A normal-sized drain pipe, I might add. Yeah, and then chases... Brian and Meg through the cafe and they hold themselves up into the freezer and that's when we discover the blob's weakness. Mm. The cold. Yeah, so at this point in the film, I have a prediction. <laughs> so, yeah, so at the start of the film, we're introduced to um, Brian's boss, aren't we? The mechanic. And 
We then see this massive truck thing that's like a snow machine or something. I can't remember what it's called. What it was it like called? It was like a fire truck, didn't it? So I don't know if he's repairing the fire I'm truck. Sure it has something like snow... Yeah, it's got snow, snow maker on maker the side. Or... Yeah. I'm putting like two and two together because Brian and Meg are shut in the freezer. This tongue tendril thing of the blob is trying to get under the door, but then freezes into crystals. Um, which kind of look like amethyst to me. <laughs> um, anyway. Sam collects gemstones. Yes, I do. Thank you, James. <laughs> Thanks for paying attention to something I collect. Anywho. So, yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm putting two and two together and creating my theory at this point that in order to take this thing down, Brian is going to get out the snow machine at some point and freeze the bugger. Yes, and this is... <laughs> Thank you. And this is Chekhov's gun in play. Oh, so you do know the name of it. I'm being a film snob now. Oh, it's not actually called that. No. What? Sorry? Chekhov's gun. This is the idea of placing details within a story that sets up future events. It's foreshadowing. Oh, I thought you were calling the um, snow machine... Chekhov's gun, then. Are <laughs> they a fan of Star Trek? <laughs> oh. Oh. Hi, cat. Yeah, they do this all the time in films, but when it's done subtly, it pays off. Not when they're like, oh, look, there's a gun over there. I wonder if that'll be used later on. <laughs> that's bad foreshadowing. You go, oh, yeah, I guess that's going to be, that's, that's going to turn up later on. Like when they go, what was it, uh, Kindergarten Cop, when it's like, I did this drawing of this, like, giant phone mast thing. I like to hang things off it. Oh, okay. Well, I wonder if that's going to be used later on in the film. Here's a blueprint of this new installation we're building. Oh, I wonder if that'll be used later on in the film. <laughs> that is Chekhov's gun. And that's also bad script writing if it's done that way, in that voice. Okay, yeah. so this was done in a good way? Yeah, because you didn't think about the snow maker straight, straight away. Straight from the start when no, we saw it. Because it was just okay. a mechanic fixing some fire truck or whatever he was. It's just yeah. there. It was just there, yeah. And the guy's just using it to put ice in his drink. It means mm -hmm. nothing. It's just a character It wasn't quirk. even ice in the drink. He just got a couple of beers out from it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's just a character trait. You don't notice until, aha, uh -huh, later scene. Blob has a weakness. Uh-huh. Yeah, and going back to the blob, so um, if we re rewind a little bit back to the kitchen hand, it was in that scene when I was like, this isn't meant to be taken seriously, is it? <laughs> no. It's retaining the roots of the 50s B-movie that it's based upon. And let's face it, you can't take a movie about a rampaging blob that hitched a ride on a meteorite seriously. And you shouldn't, because as an audience, you'd be laughing for the wrong reasons. Mm. But we're having fun with the campiness as we watch this film. That's the whole point. But being just dumb fun makes the blob easy to overlook. Unlike The Thing or The Fly, two other 80s remakes based on 50s B-movies, which had enough story potential to latch onto to make for a far more intelligent far more memorable films, despite the witty script and amazing practical effects, the blob 
is never spoken about in the same vein as those two films. The Thing is my favourite horror film of all time. But I just came across the blog one time and I was like, oh, that looks fun. I'll look into that. Yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't have known about it because nobody talks about it. But it is a fun watch, isn't it? Like, I I did actually enjoy watching it and in more, in more than one way. It became a flop. It only grossed... $8.2 million at the box office, but it cost $10 million to make. Oh. oh, dear. Which is surprising because then Frank Darabont went on to make such highly acclaimed films. Although, then again, The Shawshank Redemption, also a flop. It became a massive cult following and a much-beloved film through word of mouth. But nobody went to see it back in 94. So it, it just came out at the wrong time, maybe? Or Shawshank or The Blob? Both. Well, yeah, because The Blob now is getting a coat following. Mm. But again, because of these amazing special effects. So another thing that I'd like to bring up about it not being serious is later on in the film, when all these suited up guys in their... Um, but the government scientists. Yeah, in their like protection in their suits. Hazmat suits, whatever they are. <laughs> They're not even that... <laughs> How are they meant to be protected in these suits when the blob can literally just consume anything? And also they're trying to attack it with guns. They, oh, they, they always do nothing. that. They know nothing. They know nothing. always do that in these films. When has fighting allegedly an alien invader or mutants or anybody with powers or anything abnormal, unexplainable or paranormal, when has guns ever worked in these films? They never work. Nukes never work. Missiles, nothing works. These these things don't work in these films. They never learn. What do you want? <laughs> oh, she's so cute. Play with me, human. I brought a toy. But again, before the scientists come, you have Fran running out of her cafe to call... Oh, yeah, yeah. she goes into the phone, um, the phone booth, doesn't she? Yeah. Remember those guys? Probably not. <laughs> but, yeah, she goes into the phone booth to call Sheriff Herb because... Earlier on, he got a date with her at 11pm mm-hmm. after her shift ends. And she's like, where's her? Where's, where's Chef Herb? And he's like, and whoever... He's already is. left. Yeah, he's already left. And then the blob, like, completely submerges the phone with him. And then we see his face. Yeah. You see Chef Herb float past. Well, melted face. So he, he gets an unceremonious death off screen. Mm. Even the kitchen hand, you saw him die on screen. But this guy, you think, would play a bigger role in the film. They set up to be, like, being Brian's antagonist. And then you just see his body like, uh-oh. So not a good night for first dates, is it? It's a cursed night for first dates. Damn you, blob. <laughs> the... Yeah, so don't go and see the blob on a first date. We are introduced to the... Same government arseholes who want to study E.T. They are the same people, aren't they? It's basically the same get-up. They're a biological containment unit led by Dr. Meadows, who has time to tell a story. Because that's how you introduce yourself. Story time. Yeah. Come here, random teenagers. Let me tell you a story. Let's sit around this campfire and roast some marshmallows. Clearly it's a very immediate situation and we have to contain this thing before it spreads. But hey, 
I believe this thing killed the dinosaurs overnight, yes. Which is even stranger in hindsight because he secretly knows the true origins of the blob. So mm-hmm. why would you go out this way to tell this cover story? Brian is like this rebel greaser who obviously has issues with government figures. He can't stand the cops. He's not going to believe a single word these government scientists in hazmat suits got to say. Yes, yeah, so the containment unit starts to round the locals up and quarantine the town. And that's when the blob starts going on his little rampage. <laughs> I'm sorry. Harley, come here. <laughs> so, at this point, Brian saves his own skin and Meg heads to the cinema to save her younger brother. And they're forced to flee the blob by descending into the sewer after it invades the theatre screen. A lot of people die. Oh, yes, they do. Brian eavesdrops on Dr. Meadows and his peers in the woods, who reveal that... Dum, dum, dum... They created it. OK, there need to be more build-up than that. I thought you were building okay. it up. OK. Yes, <laughs> the blob isn't an alien, but a biological weapon developed by the US during the Cold War, and they are trying to cover it up even at the expense of the locals, who are, in Dr. Meadows' eyes, expendable. Okay, this is where I believe the subtext of the film is. Even, yes, a film about a rampaging blob has some subtext. Okay, so when the first Blob movie came out 30 years earlier, it was the height of the Red Scare, the fear that communist spies would infiltrate the wholesome... American way of the nuclear family and white picket fences of suburbia, disrupting the USA's patriotic ways. That's why at the time there was all these B-movies that depicted America being attacked by evil alien invaders from the red planet or simply out there in space. It was the fear of the other, the outsider. But by the time the 80s arrived, there were massive upheavals in American society. Hippies and other counter-cultural movements had rejected the morals of mainstream American life. The Watergate scandal allowed the public to rightfully mistrust their government. And the USA had become a far more cynical land. And the Blob remake reflects that attitude with this plot twist. Dr Meadows is even willing to attempt to gun down Brian before he reveals the truth. But he flees Mm. on his bike. And they're scientists who have a worse aim than stormtroopers. They cannot shoot anything for <laughs> shit. Which is lucky for Brian. And he finally jumps over that bridge. Yay! <laughs> Everyone's dead. Brian and the scientists head into the sewer, where Meg and the kids flee the blob. And yes, holy crap, this film does not shy away from killing a child in gory fashion. Nope, nope, it does not. Fortunately, Brian saves Meg on his chopper. Except he plays chicken with the blob. Oh yeah, he does, doesn't he? On his motorbike. He don't drive away from the blob, he goes... He just drives at it, yeah, and... up and over. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> Luckily at that point it's not in an absorbing mode. <laughs> yes, come here, dinner. Yeah, he's just like, I'm just going to stand here slightly in the way. And then yes, Dr Meadows, if you haven't noticed, is a dick. And he blocks the manhole so Brian and the others can't escape the sewer. Because he wants to contain the blob. With a manhole. Yes, with a manhole. Seriously? And then put a truck over it. Didn't they put a truck over the manhole? Yeah, so they can't get out. 
even traps one of his men down there. Yeah. Seriously? He's played by Bill Mosley, horror legend. Sam doesn't know. <laughs> Not yet. Yes, this scientist has a convenient bazooka at hand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, brr, explosion, blah, blah. So, yeah, they get out the manhole, because there's no manhole now, because of bazooka, blah, blah, blah. And Meadows orders his men to kill Brian to shut him up. Only the blob drags him to his death. And, yeah, this is the point where his remaining men attempt to riddle it with bullets and blow it up, which never works no. in movies. No, it does not. But Brian then yes, this, comes to my prediction. Yes, this <laughs> is the third act now. And this is where all the glorious carnage happens because the blob decides he is now Godzilla and he is going to rampage through this small town. And there is people getting squashed. There is people getting exploded, if that's the way to phrase it. Because mm. the blob... <laughs> sticks its tendril into the guy's flamethrower and he goes boom and he goes ah and <laughs> Reverend Meekers who's already a bit on the creepy side anyway not because he's a priest but you know yeah and he gets half of his face melted oh yeah and people run away like oh ah there's a slowly moving blob which melts me yeah. <laughs> you're really like explaining it dramatically we got to paint not. the picture. But you're not. You're, you're, you're explaining it sarcastically. So, yes. As Sam <laughs> predicted, the Chekhov gun comes into play. Mm -hmm. And Brian does the smart thing and gets... Is it a fire truck? It looks like a fire truck. It's snowmaker. A, yeah, it's got the... Well, yeah, it's the... Let's just call it the snowmaker. He does the smart thing and gets the snowmaker and instantly does the dumbest thing. I was going to say, you're saying he does the smart thing. On my notes here, I have put, what an idiot. <laughs> Brian, you destroy the chuck that could have saved you all. <laughs> yes, because he rams the blob with the snowmaker. He doesn't use the snowmaker. No. He rams literally i was so angry at him and this is why johnny drama you do not get into the long-haired man appreciation society because you did something stupid mm -hmm. i know you're not don't, i know you don't do well in school i know you flunk classes and you ride around all the time your little motorbike but okay common sense does prevail you don't charge the thing the chart the thing that Melts everything. Well, that is surprising. It's the one time it doesn't actually melt something. It just bounces off it. Uh-huh. And, of course, Meg now has to save the day. What does she do? Oh, she gets some... She gets, like, the explosives or the grenades or whatever the scientists have strapped on them. Lodges them onto, like, the upsided snowmaker. Yeah, she's just trying to get its attention, though, to save Brian. Yeah, but she's trying to lure it towards the snowmaker, isn't she? And she's... No, because he's in the snowmaker. I thought he got out. He... No, so while the blob is trying to consume the snowmaker with Brian in it, and she's standing on something else and throwing grenades and whatnot at the blob to get its attention away from the snowmaker and Brian. But as she jumps away, some kind of strap or something on her gets lodged on the truck. And oh, she... her foot yeah. gets lodged, doesn't she? Yeah, she gets lodged. So, of course, Brian has a hero moment. The film's not that progressive. I'm sorry, I'll rewind. I was wrong, you were right. She is on the snowmaker. Yes, so Brian must yes. have got out, yes. 
Yes, because she's trying to blow the snowmaker yeah. up. So it has, mm-hmm. I guess, timed explosive she's taken from one of the scientist dudes. Flees as the blob is reaching, gets a foot stuck, as Sam says. Brian, ooh, I'm a man, still has to save the woman. She can't have a full-on Ripley moment. And baboom. <laughs> you say baboom. <laughs> I say poof. <laughs> and poof. The blob has turned into pieces of, well, I say pieces, thousands of pieces of crystals. Some of them being amethysts, I'm sure. I guess the whole town has to get all these crystals yeah, before quickly, they melt. quickly sweep it all up and put it in a freezer? I guess so, if they've got any freezers left. I guess Fran's freezer Everyone's still works. Everyone's freezer. Yeah, he's like, sorry guys, sorry you got PTSD now, sorry you're traumatised, but can you like scoop up the crystals before it reforms itself? Uh, I and guess, then send it to the I guess, Arctic. Yeah, I guess the government <laughs> is still going to cover up this um, event. Maybe some government officials come in and gun down the whole town. Nobody survives. I mean, it's a bit of a downer. Hmm. Maybe that's why you don't see it. And instead, the film ends with Reverend Mika... Now in full wackadoodle mode as a preacher. Oh, yeah. Long hair, face melting, and he's got his, like, travelling amusement thing. He goes uh-huh. to, like, small towns yep. and he's talking about the day of reckoning and all this stuff. And some lady at the end says, when's it going to happen? And how cheesy is this line? The Lord will give me a sign. Yes, and he pulls out his pet blob. Yeah, but the Lord will give me a sign for the next sequel. Which never got made. No, not yet. (laughs) But it gives it the dot, dot, dot. The sequel would just have been the same, wouldn't it? Yes. Unless they put it on the cruise ship. Hmm. Just like Speed 2, cruise control. The blob escapes out of its freezer chamber on on, on the boat, yeah? Or his little jar. Reverend Mick has gone on the cruise... Opens up his jar. Today is the day of reckoning. <laughs> blob 2, cruise control. And that's the film. Did you like the blob, Sam? I did actually enjoy it. It was um, humorous at times. And um, I, I don't think many people had the same thought as me because it's only got a, I'm just looking now, it's only got a 56% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. You get home, you want to watch something casual. Yeah, nothing serious, with some great effects. Yes, and you make yourself a cocktail. Not the same as Scott. No. No, you consensuously, is that a word? You make cocktails with your other half, with consent. <laughs> and you sit down and enjoy this movie. Yeah. You always people complain about dodgy CGI, watch this film. And be like, ooh, wow. How the hell did they do it? How did they do that? And then you read how they did it and kind of demystifies it. Or you listen to you. you Yeah, yeah, (laughs) just listen to me dribble on about it. (laughs) Blob quilt? Don't want to Google that. Never Google blob quilt. (laughs) Uh, But I, I didn't find it scary. There were some bits which slightly disgust me. Um, it's body horror yeah but Sam not scared but Sam would watch this again Sam not scared Sam queasy (laughs) Sam is never going to eat jello ever again 
Do we call it jello over it? No, we call it jelly. Oh, yeah, I was thinking jam. See, now I was going to say Sam is never going to get into a phone booth again. Well, we're going to find a phone booth these days. There are still some around. I think that's where vagrants use as toilets. I don't know. I haven't used one in such a long time. Well, on that bombshell, you've been watching Scary Sam. Watching. I'm James. You've been listening to Scary Sam. <laughs> I'm James. And I'm Sam. And that's Harley. And that's Alba. Well, Alba has just been sitting curled up. He's a good boy. Sleeping on the corner of the bed. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter. And you can contact us, as always, at scaringsampods at gmail.com. And that was Ranger. Yep. Hi, neighbour. <laughs> he just wants his um, five seconds of fame. Well, you got it, okay? You got your five seconds. <laughs> bye. Stay safe out there tonight. And bye. <laughs> Ta-da!